Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am one of your co-hosts, Rob Clark, and with us, as always, Mr. Ed Katz. Ed, how Hi, are you? Rob. Hi, Rob Clark, and hello, listeners. Are you doing all right today, Ed? It's, this has turned out to be a wonderful day for me. Everything's come together like divine intervention, so thank you, Lord, and Thank you for asking, you, Rob. I'm going to throw this out there. You and I were having, before we dive into this episode, which I think is going to be a good one, you know, this is a, a topic, everybody saw the title, a topic that I think a lot of people will have some interest in because we're always trying to mini- minimize risk of, of claims and litigation and things like that. But before we jump into our episode, you and I were talking a little bit, and I'd love to get the listener's opinion maybe shooting you an email or dropping a note on your, uh, your LinkedIn page or even mine if they want to do that. But you and I were talking about the process you've been going through um, with some homes and real estate in general and maybe getting their opinion. Give them a little bit about what you think about that topic. And you and I were discussing about having a show, doing a, a, a podcast on this particular topic. Maybe we can get well, some- indir- yeah, indirectly, it's related to relocation. You buy a house, and you move in or you move out. So we, we could connect those thoughts. But all I can say is this. I wish I had invested in real estate years ago. I didn't jump in until 2012, 2013. But I have learned so much. And I think it's such a great way of diversifying one's portfolio. If you're inv- invested in bonds and stocks and gold and Whatever else you invest in, I think rental property, specifically residential rental property, is a great way of diversifying. And I'd love to do a future podcast on what I've learned, not from the School of Hard Knocks so much, but I actually took some seminars and courses that taught me so much. And it's a very, very part-time uh, investment opportunity. You'd be amazed. I'm, I'm 500 miles. I'm eight hours driving time away from my rental homes and I'm able to do it very part-time. And I'm, yeah, I think, I think I'm selling them now, but anyhow, I think that'd be a fun episode. I think we're going to do it, but if there's some specific questions listeners might have related to that topic prior to the show, you know, fire them over, you know, email them, uh, put them on the LinkedIn page. You can hit us up at, uh, our email addresses, whichever was easier for you all. So let's, let's leave it at that. And uh, that'll be a fun show, future show coming up. Um, let's jump into today's topic. As we just kind of touched on uh, the title of this episode is going to be how to reduce the risk of claims and litigation. And Ed, this is a topic that I think uh, is catching the ears of, you know, at least a lot of general managers and uh, owners and things like that. But um, you tell me, I guess salespeople and, and everybody in the company has a role in playing to make sure these things are minimized, right? Murphy is alive and well. <laughs> and if, it can, if, if you can have an accident or have a claim, it's going to happen. So, yes, and that's how you try to retain profits and not give it back in higher premiums, deductibles, and all the bad things that go along with that. So I had a person who says they know you fairly well and whether they do or not, I don't know because I know you, I know him. I don't know you two together, but he, he gave me this story that after you bought your moving company, a couple years after buying it, you went out and bought a brand new red. So everybody would notice you Cadillac, even though maybe it wasn't the right decision. Maybe you couldn't afford it at that time. Is this story he's telling me true? Well, 
Yes and no. Let me give you the no. It, I didn't buy a moving company. You think I'd be that crazy? I fell out of bed one morning, hit my head on the floor and said, duh, I want to become a mover. And I found it and started. Thank you. Thank you for the correction. You started your mover. So no for yeah. your first question, but yes, I bought a brand new red fire engine Cadillac. And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't afford it. And uh, here we go. School of hard knocks. I didn't know that I didn't know. So we had our first brand new moving ve- moving truck, moving van, out doing a move in a suburb of Atlanta. And one of my drivers called in and said, Mr. Katz, we had a little, little accident out here. The driver, who, was this, who also was the supervisor, the driver, he said, when I was backing up, I, uh, I hit a car. So the good news is that it only put a scratch on the rear of our truck. You know, that steel horizontal bar that comes across below the roll-up door. Uh, just a scratch on that. You want to hear the rest of the story, Rob? Well, I think not only do I want to hear it, I think everybody wants to hear it. Yeah, well, that little scratch caused the brand new fire engine red Cadillac to be totaled. And I'm not kidding you, totaled. And I, I just couldn't believe it, um, how that could happen. But it, it, it was beyond repair. It was totaled. And um, would you believe that that was the second backing up accident we had uh, after we first started our company, like within a period of 12 to 18 months? And my insurance company, I'm, I guess I'm lucky in hindsight, they didn't cancel my, my insurance, but they, they tripled my deductible and said that they were going to review my premiums every three months and they might have to raise them. So how, how would you like to have that happen to you when you first started your company? No, that, that keeps you on your P's and Q's after that. Thank God the car was parked. It was nobody in it. What if, what if we killed somebody or injured somebody i mean how terrible was that right right absolutely so anyhow we were got a call from the loss prevention loss control division of this insurance company and i was told that from now on set in stone set in concrete don't ever back a truck up without a spotter now, you have to understand, I'm not from the moving industry. You know, I worked on Wall Street before this. I leased office space. You know, I, and my, my response was, um, excuse me, that sounds great, but what's a spotter? <laughs> you know, English, English, you know. Anyhow, I learned that a spotter is the person that guides you back. And he also told me, interestingly enough, that 99% of the time, whenever you have a choice, you make sure the spotter who's waving you back is on the driver's side of the truck and not the passenger side. Oh, little nuances, a little detail. And I'll be honest with you, that really went a long way. And um, I mean, you could, we, we stopped having those types of accidents. That's all I can tell you. So that, that was a new procedure you put in place. And so all of your employees, I'm guessing all of them started to follow that procedure. Right. And I would like to sell you a bridge in Brooklyn when we get off the phone and it's only going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars and I'll put your name on the bridge too. How's that sound? Man, we're going to talk after this episode. Yeah, right. (laughs) Did my 
employees follow the procedures. Heck no. I mean, come on. We hired, especially on the weekends, we hire part-time drivers who work for a, a, a labor force that provided long-distance drivers uh, to our company, and we would use them on the weekends if we had a shuttle van rotation around Robin-type move, and they would shuttle our trucks for us. And these guys are notorious for backing up their, what do you call them, 49-footers or 53-foot trailers, you know, sure. without spotters and all that. So anyhow, that aside, to get my employees to really buy into not backing up without a spotter, I finally had to meet with them. You know, again, I wasted my oxygen saying, hey, we're all part of the same team and we all care and all that BS that is like a waste of oxygen. But I finally had them think at least they had skin in the game. And what I would do is this. I'd say, look, if you back up one of our trucks without a spotter, and I made sure I say, now, you know what that means? And they, they all knew what that meant. If you back up one of our trucks without a spotter, and you have an accident, whatever that deductible is on that accident, you're going to become my new business partner. How does that sound? And they would look at me like, what is he, what is this old man talking about? What do you mean your business partner? I said, let me explain. If you break our company policy of backing up a truck without having somebody guide you back and spot you and you cause an accident, whatever the deductible is, you're going to pay half out of your salary and we're going to pay our share because you broke company policy now to be honest with you that's probably illegal you can't do that but we never had to do it it was the deterrent it was a, a veiled threat let's put it to you that way and um I, I took that one step further to be honest with you i said look let me give you an example let's say you have somebody sitting next to you in the truck a helper and you have to back the truck up. You just both got to the destination and you have to back up to an area wherever it is. And it's pouring down rain. I mean, it's really raining hard. And you need to back the truck up to the loading area or unloading area so that it can be unloaded. And you tell the helper, get out of the truck and spot me. And he says to you, no, I'm not getting out of the truck. It's pouring down rain. If you're the driver, what do you do in this situation? And you know how they always answer that question? You know, there's nothing more sacred than the job, right? But not at our company. <clears throat> and I said to the driver, your answer, your correct answer from this second forward is this. You shut down the truck and you do not back up. Even at the risk of not getting that truck unloaded, even at the risk of not finishing that job on time for the price quoted, you are not permitted to back that truck up without a spotter. And if he won't um, spot you, you may have to get out of the truck and find somebody else to spot you. And if that's not possible, then shut the job down. Don't back up. I said, look, <clears throat> if you do back up with a spotter and you have an accident, I'm not going to be happy that with a spotter, you caused an accident and had damage, but you will not be my business partner. We're going to pay the full claim of the insurance deductible. We're going to take care of that. You're not going to be charged anything. Do you get it? You know what, Rob? They got it. They understood. So when they had skin in the game and they had something to lose if they broke the company policy, then they followed 
the procedure. How does that sound to you? Well, I, I think the, I would add to that. I think both of those make perfect sense, but also having the assurance from you that you, so to speak, have their back. You know, if they follow the procedures and something still happens, accidents happen, you know, obviously we put these things in place so we minimize that risk of an accident happening, but them knowing you had their back, if something still happened with a spotter, you weren't going to take it out on them. That meant something. Right. And I'll be honest with you. That happened like our second year and our third year in business. I'm one of the two for the next 22 years that I owned peach tree movers. We never had another accident caused by somebody backing up blind without a spotter ever. I mean, we, they really, we really drilled that into them and reminded them that all the time. Okay. I'm thinking of a situation we're talking about, you know, trucks and backing them up. And then once we start to get those goods, either loaded or unloaded, Ed, I think you'll agree with me that, you know, sometimes on a job we have customers, you know, they're, they're out there. They're, they're out there the entire time we are, they want to help, right? They want to push some furniture on those four wheel dollies down the hall, maybe down, you know, to the dock, whatever it might be. And that's, that's okay. Right. I mean, it's no big deal. It just helps us get the job done. Yeah, it's okay. It happens. It's so funny when I used to teach my in-person seminar and I would ask, you know, or reference this point, the heads in the room always were bobbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Customers want to either not be bored or they want to save time and money by pushing furniture down the hall that's on a dolly. And before I respond to that question, think about this. So they're pushing a file cabinet, a vertical file cabinet that's top heavy down the hall. And let's say they're pushing it the wrong way. The drawers are not facing the person pushing the file cabinet. They're facing away from them and they hit a wall. Are they going to say, Oh, um, supervisor, where's the supervisor? I want to report that I caused some damage with one of your dollies and a piece of furniture on it. Or do you think they're going to come and, you know, narc on themselves? Or do you think if, if, if somebody gets hurt, I mean, all these, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. So the answer is, that at our company, once I um, realized the risk involved, we had a policy that you were not permitted to have the, anybody other than our movers um, be involved in moving furniture and said, we we wanted everybody else to stay, you know, away from the, away from uh, the moving activity. And I'll, I'll tell you, when I tell you what happened to a moving company, in the DC market years ago, I think I can really make this point how important it is that customers and their employees stay away from the movers during a move. You know, the other thing I'll I'll touch on, Ed, you make me think of something. Uh, uh, It's always a scenario, not always, but a lot of times on a move, it's a scenario that comes up where touching on what you're talking about, the client likes to see how things are loaded in the truck, right? They want to come out to the dock or to the loading area and see us either put it, push it up the ramp or put it on the lift gate and lift it up. And I've gotten to where I have to make sure that our clients know, or their representatives know, I have to keep them a certain distance away from the lift gate or the ramp, because you know how human nature is. If they saw anything starting to tilt or fall or lean, the the instinct is to try to run over and try to catch it to help and uh that's a scenario that i've seen people want to do and i have to make sure that they stay away from that area because that risk is absolutely not worth it and i make that point to them very clearly i agree so much i'd like to share something with you that happened uh 
with something just like you just described me. May I share that with you? Absolutely. Uh, apparently, this happened around 1998, 1999 to a, a, a very good office mover in the D.C. market. And what happened was they were doing a move for a Fortune 500 company, and it was a large move. So they sent a skeleton crew in on a Friday evening to do nothing but dolly up and stage furniture all the way up in stage but not loaded onto the trucks so they had like i think they had five movers dolling up furniture and included in that were 66 fireproof um four drawer or five drawer high vertical file cabinets very heavy and they used from what i was told a, what's called the philadelphia method or the shotgun method where um three or four or five movers working together, they, they tipped the cabinet back and rock it over on a uh, perpendicular four-wheel dolly and tip it then forward and they slide another dolly underneath it. It's a very high skill, very risky type of procedure for moving file cabinets, but even at our moving company for years, that's how we used to move all types of vertical file cabinets, fireproof and non-fireproof. But anyhow, that aside, they got to number 22. And, that, and they had four uh, men and one lady. The, the four men would tip the cabinet towards the drawer side, towards the supervisor. And then <clears throat> when it was tipped over far enough from the upright position, the lady mover would slide a four-wheel dolly under the bottom and then all five movers would rock it back right side up onto the dolly, if you can imagine that process. So they were doing number 22, and apparently what happened, the supervisor's hands and fingers got sweaty. When it got sweaty, his grip on the top of the cabinet started slipping and sliding, and he yelled, watch out. And so thank God, the movers did what the movers should have done. They scattered. And so this 900 pound, if maybe maybe even more than that, this 900 pound fireproof vertical file cabinet started falling towards the, the floor. And thank God none of the movers got hurt. Unfortunately, the escort, the babysitter, the customer contact from this Fortune 500 company that was there during the move saw what was happening. Apparently he was standing right next to where the cabinet was being uh, catapulted onto the dolly and he tried to catch it because he said that he was afraid it was going to crush the supervisor. Well, unfortunately, Bob, Bob, Rob, unfortunately, Rob, he did catch it and it fell and fell right on top of his right foot and it flattened his foot like a pancake. I mean, this poor guy, this happened 20, 22 years ago. This guy will probably have pain the rest of his life. So, here he is. He's a good Samaritan trying to help out. And what happens? He has, he's, he's injured and will be in pain the rest of his life. I mean, just a tragic story. So welcome to America. You think that he got a, a gold medal or something from his employer and 
and the mover said, hey, thank you. We're going to write you a thank you letter. You think that's the end of the story? What do you think might have happened next? This is America, you know, and this is around uh, 1998, 1999. What do you think happened? L- lawyers were lawyers, lawyers talking to each other, having a cup of oh, coffee. Oh, boy. So what happens is his own employer's insurance pays his workers comp, which, you know, there's state mandated limits and all how much that is, but all his medical bills were to be paid, but his pain and suffering and anguish and trauma and all that kind of stuff were not probably not covered. He sues the moving company where these five employees were employed. He sues them for seven and a half million dollars. He alleges in his lawsuit that the movers who were working that night were not trained they weren't professional, they weren't experienced, and they weren't using the best practice method for dolling up and moving fireproof cabinets. So this thing goes to trial by jury, would you believe, in uh, Northern Virginia. And I'm told that after day one of this three-day trial, day one, um, the insurance company at the end of the first day's testimony and hearing and all that, offers this guy a million dollars tax-free to settle out of court. Well, apparently, you know, his friends, his relatives, people involved all said, hey, listen, there's only one reason they're offering you a million dollars, and that's what? They think they're going to lose. They think they're going to lose. So he turned down that offer. And here's who he had as expert witnesses. He had a moving company owner from that market say, that's the most dangerous way of moving cabinets. You should never use the Philadelphia method. You should instead be using an appliance hand truck to move them. That's safer, blah, blah, blah. And then he had the manufacturer's dealership of that particular brand of file cabinet testify that actually no moving company employee should ever move fireproof file cabinets, that they should always call the dealer and have them come out and move them because they go through three days of training. Now, let me tell you, you talk about a bubble mindset. That's the biggest untruth I've ever heard. What they were trying to do was get more business for themselves. Can you imagine every time we encountered a fireproof file cabinet, and if we had the calm, the dealership that sold the cabinet to the client, and then what do you think the dealer would do? Call a moving company. They'd outsource it. They have the movers go move it under their name, their banner. I mean, that was a bunch of bubble mindset. But anyhow, that aside, um, the trial was not going very well for the defendant or for the insurance company representing the uh, defendant. Anyhow, on day three, they had one expert witness and that just happened to be me. And I gave a very honest testimony. I said, look, fireproof file cabinets are very dangerous. They're very, they're, they're awkward. They're top heavy. They're hard to get around. And they're just very, very dangerous. No matter how you move them, it's dangerous. And I gave some further documentation, which I'm not going to bore our listeners with. But anyhow, um, at the end of the trial, the defendant was vindicated. They were they were given a hall pass by the jury that, that they agreed with my testimony that moving fireproof file cabinets, no matter which te- no matter what technique you use, is dangerous. So they didn't have to pay 
anything out of court. They didn't have to pay anything in a settlement. And the, the guy, not only does he have pain and suffering the rest of his life, he doesn't have anything more than what he got from his own employer. And I feel bad for him, but that's not a reason to award it to the plaintiff if it's not justified. But I'll tell you, I asked the attorney representing the insurance company who hired me to be the expert witness. I said, my goodness gracious, I have clients all over the world that move file cabinets this way. What? I mean, you know, it's not uncommon for the customer to get involved in the move. What, what do you recommend? He said, do you have a pen? I said, yes. He said, do you have paper? I said, I can get paper. He said, I will dictate and you write. So would you like me to tell you what he had me communicate to my customers? Well, yeah, that that, that's, that's what I was going to ask him. Assuming what he told you, you found a way to make sure the clients knew. Um, but yeah, jump into it. Let's go. I mean, I mean, here's what he told me. And I wrote this down. He said, first of all, verbally, you have to tell the customers, stay away from the moving activity. It's dangerous. It's risky. And you could get harmed or killed. I mean, you have to negative sell it. It's really a dangerous, you know. And then he said, in writing, and this is what I wrote down. And this is exactly which was, it was in every estimate that we did. And not only that, when they signed our contract, they signed and signed off on this sentence. Customer warning, not in my font or my print, but in bold, you know, 16 font type customer warning furniture moving is dangerous instruct your employees to stay a safe distance from the movers tell them not to touch grab push pull bump or catch the furniture during the move i mean you know what that doesn't mean that the, if there's an accident that somebody's still not going to see you but i'll tell you this goes a long way to minimize the risk of exposure I mean, other than say it verbally, give it to them in writing, get them to sign they receive this instruction. I mean, what else can you do? And obviously you can still be sued, but this gives you a leg to stand on to defend yourself if if that does happen. Do you, do you agree? Oh, I absolutely agree. Uh, it does make me want to ask you one more question related to this topic before we move on. Did you have a rule during the move phases you know, whether it was multiple phases or just one phase. Uh, but did you have a rule of how many representatives from the company could be at origin or destination during a shuttle? Or what was the rule for a load and go? Oh, boy. You're giving me flashbacks from way <laughs> back when. We moved a really large, very successful, very prominent law firm that took an entire floor uh, in a high-rise office building in downtown Atlanta years and years and years ago. And I'll never forget this. The move was planned to finish around five or six o'clock on a Sunday. It went Friday evening, five or six hours, eight or nine hours Saturday, eight, <clears throat> excuse me, eight hours Sunday. And around one o'clock on a Sunday, I see um, a catering service show up and they're bringing all this food into the break room. And next thing I know, a bunch of the attorney employees and their support staff and their families, their wives and their children are all parading through the space. And we're still actively moving volume over and unloading trucks. And 
it was a nightmare. And I see, I see little kids, you know, riding on a, on a four wheel dolly down the hall, one guy, one kid pushing another kid and they're screaming and yelling and running. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe the chaos and pandemonium we experienced. And the only worst thing that happened that day, I'm going to whisper this so nobody hears it, but I remember going into the men's room, talking to one of my supervisors, and I was livid. And I did not mince words about how stupid and dumb uh, this firm was to allow that to happen. And then, to my shock and horror, I look in the stalls, you know, where you sometimes sit down, and I see legs, and I see shoes, and I'm... it's one of the attorneys, one of the employees of the law firm, and, and here I am talking, <laughs> saying those terrible things. But anyhow, terrible thing. I learned never to say anything to anybody in a men's room ever again, right? <laughs> never knowing who's inside the men's room. But that aside, we from then on in every estimate and in our contract said, if it's a load and go, load and deliver, where we all work together, no more than one customer contact and be on the move. I mean it, not more than one. And then if it's a van rotation shuttle where we're simultaneously sending and receiving and the trucks are going around Robin, then two contacts, one at the origin, one at the destination. Because when they start bringing their family members in, it is chaos and pandemonium. I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know how it is at your company, but they made it like a party and that was... Well just yeah, terrible. Yeah, because most companies want to get up and running by that Monday morning. So the employees think, man, when are you, if you're going to start at eight, will you have my desk in there by 11 so I can come in? You know, and we absolutely don't want them on site until the entire move is complete. But the other thing that we do, Ed, and I think you taught, I know you taught me this, was uh, our people who do the move class. Uh, we go over the same safety things in that class as well while we have that audience of all of these employees in there to learn how to pack and label and do all that the safety portion of that is mentioned there as well so that you know leadership and all the people in that room have heard that this statement if you show up on the day of the move we will shut down the move but still be on your clock <laughs> and then, then you. yeah, yeah. Good for you. That's really great. Let me give you one other little intervening variable. So now we have the furniture placed in most of the offices. It's like two or three o'clock in the afternoon on that Sunday. And now the spouses, we won't say what gender they are. I'm really politically correct. You know me. The spouses start going into the offices and, and wanting to have the furniture rearranged. Oh, yeah. How do you like that for adding time and more work. And I mean, it just, it made no sense. Yeah. It was just, let's call the smooth set that we do that later on a, on a different invoice. <laughs> right. 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 We, we call that fine tune, but we yeah. would come back, you know, Monday morning with a skeleton crew and fine tune the placement yeah. of everything, but not while you're still unloading trucks and placing furniture. And then, Hey, can I have two or three guys that come down the hall here? Cause we have to leave and we have to go to dinner soon. And we, you know how disruptive that is to the oh, no. brigade? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Good. Uh, I'm glad you're, you're still having those problems today because I paid my dues when I had my moving company. I'm oh, glad to hear the people, have, people haven't changed that much, Ed, when it comes to things like that. Not at all. Good. Hey, but Good. it does make me think about something else related to safety and, uh, you know, putting procedures in place that help us mitigate 
the, the risk of things happening. Um, you ran a really tight ship at your moving company, Peachtree Movers. Uh, but is it true that you threatened to fire your drivers if they didn't use wheel chocks? Well, after a terrible, terrible incident happened in a suburb of Atlanta, yes. And I tell you, <laughs> uh, it's a long story, but it's so worth telling. It's so worth telling. Um, a national moving company was doing a local residential move in a suburb of Atlanta on a Wednesday. And they drove into the subdivision and they got out of their brand new truck. And, and you know, unlike an office move, and I preach this all the time, there's absolutely no reason for the crew on an office move to ever go into the office and walk the space and look at everything before they start the move. Absolutely no reason at all if you have a detailed scope of services. Just a supervisor goes in and gets the paperwork signed. But as we know, on a residential move, the whole crew goes in and parades through the houses so that when the super, the loader slash supervisor says, hey, go upstairs in that second bedroom and bring that, you know, buffet down or whatever it is down, they know what they're talking about. So anyhow, this truck goes, this driver parks his truck in the cul-de-sac, brand new truck, and the whole crew of three men go into the house and while they're in the house, apparently the truck didn't have, um, it was, it was an automatic. So I, I believe he parked it in neutral instead of in park. And he forgot to pull that little yellow plunger out of the dashboard that locks the emergency brakes. So basically the truck is in neutral and he goes in, and the, the three movers go into the house, into the shipper's house. And while they're in the house, the truck silently, apparently starts rolling backwards. It rolls a couple hundred feet and runs over and kills a 13-year-old boy who had his back to the truck, who was talking to his uncle, who also had his back to the truck. And... Apparently, they never heard the truck roll, rolls over and kills this 13-year-old boy. Well, they say there's no such thing as bad pub publicity. Let me tell you something. This was on the noon news, the noon news of a preventable, preventable accident that could have been prevented at noon, 6 p.m. news, 11 o'clock news that night, 8 o'clock news the next morning, noon, 6 o'clock evening news. Thursday and Friday, Saturday, the news departments of these television stations are out there interviewing the friends and relatives of this poor kid who was crushed by this truck. I mean, it was just a, such a terrible tragedy that couldn't have been prevented. And I never heard much more about how it was settled or whatever. I'm sure that the uh, insurance company settled out of court, you know, for whatever you know, the, the plaintiffs wanted, you know, the family members of this terrible tragedy. And I also understand, I may be wrong, that the driver was convicted in, in a, a criminal charge of negligence and involuntary manslaughter. It's hard to believe, but I, that's what I understand happened. And he actually went to the prison for a year or two. I mean, that, isn't that terrible? That's so awful. when I heard that happen, uh, 
I couldn't get our guys to use wheel chocks. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. Welcome to our world, right? You want to ask me a question about like? Well, yeah. You, do you think if you just said, "All right, guys, from now on, we're going to use wheel chocks," you think that's going to happen? So, Ed, how did you, you know, get your folks to follow the procedure of using wheel chocks? Because I'm going to tell you, in our market here in Houston, I mean, 95 or more percent of the time. I'll see, you know, competitors' trucks parked at a location, whether it's on an incline or not, and there's never wheel chocks. So I, I, there may be listeners listening to this, Ed, that are going, what in the world are wheel chocks? What are they talking about? Yeah, well, that's that triangular, usually triangular-shaped device that you see at loading docks. They're usually made out of black rubber. They weigh a lot, and when they get wet, they're nasty. Two pieces connected by a chain, so you can put one in front, one in back. Right. Well, the ones I'm real familiar with are the ones you just put. You know, if it's if it's if the nose is lower than the than the put box, it in front of the tire. Then you put it in front of the rear tire, and yeah. if it's the other way around, then you put it behind, and it, and it prevents a truck from rolling. And you know, so I tried to adopt and impl- implement that policy at our moving company, and I'd go out on a move, and here I have these big heavy rubber wheel chocks and they actually we built a box underneath the rear of the of the, of the van and uh, where they could store these big wheel chocks and uh, if they were being used and i say if they were being used they were used as door stops you know going into the double sure. glass doors going into the office building they use them as door stops and then guess what they did? They drive off and leave the wheel chocks behind at the office buildings. And those things were like $20, $25 each back in the old days. So they were pretty expensive. So they weren't using them. So then I thought, aha, uh-huh, I'm going to be smarter than they. I got a 12 foot long chain. And I chained, not only did I put the wheel chocks in this box we had built underneath the, you know, near the frame of the truck under the, the van body but it was chained with this tether, okay, to the, um, to the truck, to the truck frame. Next thing I see this happening, they, after they used the wheel chocks, they forgot to pick them up. And so <laughs> then they're driving down the road with this tethered, you know, 20 pound wheel chalk bouncing up in the air and all the, I'm lucky it didn't break loose. It did break loose, but break loose and go through the windshield of a, of a vehicle, you know, too close, following too close behind us. I mean, welcome to our world, right? So finally, 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 I found a plastic orange, bright orange and bright yellow wheel chocks that are made out of plastic. You can wash them and keep them clean and they're user friendly. They're lightweight and they really work well. And we kept two of those in the cab of every truck. And I'll tell you, you know, we just like backing up a truck without a smarter, we, we said, we're going to audit these moves. We're going to show up when you don't expect us. And we better find, excuse me, find the wheel chalk under the wheel, because if not, that driver is going to be put on probation. And if that driver for 30 days violates any other company policy, he or she is fired. I mean, that's how serious that was. And, you know, I've taught, excuse me, I've taught over 100 moving companies in my in-person seminar over the years. I've taught over 3,000 students in person over the years. And I would ask my students in these in-person office moving training seminars, I'd say, raise your hand if your company 
uses wheel chocks every time they park a truck. I don't think anybody ever raised their hands. I mean, I just, it's just so common. You rarely, rarely see it. And you, you're putting too much faith and confidence in these um, parking uh, mechanisms they have in these, these, these trucks with automatic transmissions. And I mean, if you forget to pull that plunger out of the dashboard that locks and engages the brakes so the truck won't, won't roll or whatever reason you don't park it and park, that truck can roll and you can have a terrible accident that could have been prevented. So even with the old South trucks that had the stick shifts, we once were parked on a hill without a wheel chalk and in, it was parked in first gear and the truck popped out of first gear. Would you believe that? It popped out of first gear and started rolling down this driveway and at the bottom was a, a, a pond. And at the last moment, I'm told that one of my drivers jumped onto the running board, got into the truck and at the last moment stopped the truck before it went into the pond. I mean, these accidents happen and they can be prevented if you 100% of the time, not when the guys think it's necessary, but 100% of the time mandate, you got to use wheel chocks. You got to use them. Yeah, I totally agree. And just kind of having this episode, you know, we always talk about, you know, trying to dummy this down a little bit. Even with kids, we, we talk about, you know, what could happen if you make this decision or do this and and it's the same way in, in moving you know if i don't put a wheel chalk what could happen if i don't tell the customer to stay away from you know not pushing or not trying to help what could happen and just kind of making sure that you go through those those risk those risks as you start to you know have your supervisors you know executing a job and the project managers as they're executing a job when you're when you're doing work for clients and making sure we keep everybody safe not just people but assets and buildings and all of those things i have one client in northern virginia i'll mention them jk moving services they have adopted and implemented just about everything I teach and preach. And to this day, if I were to do a spot audit on any of the 30 or 40 different jobs they do every day, every day in the DC market, I would, if I went out to the job site, they would have wheel chocks under the wheels of their trucks. I mean, that's, that is set in stone. When they park in the yard, even though the yard is on a level, there'll be a wheel chalk under every wheel of uh, not every wheel every, of, of a wheel of every truck that's how strict they are and and they get their employees to do it and that's that's set in stone well, set in concrete and, and that's a great way to do it because then it's habit you don't have to worry about am i on an incline or not it's just habit you put the wool chocks out every time that's right that's yeah. right you're right well i think this was a very uh, informative and and uh educational uh episode for for listeners that maybe didn't think about some of these things and what the risks could be you know obviously they don't happen often uh but we don't want them to happen at all because one time can can put you out of business that's right so if you can't buy insurance or your deductible is so outrageously high or your premiums are exorbitant you're not going to be in business long yeah so definitely a good episode good information ed and i enjoyed it as always Boy, you brought back some dark times in my mind about what can happen, the risk of being in, in the moving business. Well, but I'm glad we, we talked about we it. We are the commercial relocation happy hour, so now you can have a glass of wine. No, I'm Relax. Have a bottle. A bottle. Okay. 
<laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. And until our next episode, go sell another move. <laughs>